Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. When we look at today's churches and their ministry, compared to what's going on in society, we must come to the conclusion something is wrong. The Old Testament mandate that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and heal the land. The land is sick. Our government is sick. And to my shame, our churches or sick because we have no impact. That's why this text is so important for us today and actually the next two Sundays as well. John writes of his experience with Jesus, John is the one who the younger apostle who Jesus took on his wing and allowed John to sit next to him and to even lay his head on his breast. So he records these events. And Jesus is going to use an example in our text that his audience could easily identify with when he talks about a vine and its produce, the grapes. You see, every year in Palestine, gardeners would prune their vines. And the pruning process consists of twofold cutting away dead branches and trimming excess from the live branches. This allowed more nutrients to flow throughout the vine so that they could yield more and bigger fruit. And through this agricultural illustration, Jesus gives us today an example of the dependency we as Christians must have upon Jesus if we expect to have impact in our world. From a background of chapter 15, the events in our text occurs during the Pentecostal feast, the Passover feast, where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It was the night that Jesus was arrested, beaten, and tried. In chapter 13, Jesus did something special by washing the disciples' feet. And now that he washed the disciples' feet, and this is important, Judas left 
the group. Within his heart, placed by Satan, his plan to betray the master. But after Judas left, there was a conversation that ensued between Jesus and his disciples, the 11 remaining. Several questions came up. But the question that Philip asked connects the background with our text in chapter 15. Philip's asked this, show us the father. And Jesus, if I put it in my own words, say, say what? If you have seen me, Philip, you've seen the father. And from that, we want to go to John 14, chapter 14, John verses 10. And we're going to look at 10 through 12 in response, in reply to Philip's question, Jesus said this, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. The Father who dwells in me does the work. Then he says in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus had healed. He had raised the dead. He had uh, cast out demons. He had done a lot of things. He said, you look at those. And then verse 12, here it is. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believe in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. You can theorize this all you want to work around it, but the word of God is the word of God and Jesus meant what he said. What are these great works? Basically, it's the same impact that Jesus had on his culture in his day, we should be having the same effect on our culture today. Because he is the power source. See, we've been trying to do too much stuff in ourselves. He is the power source of every true believer, so we should have, we do have, if we do what it says, impact of a wider range of community. Jesus didn't have no telephone, no television, no social media, none of those things. So question is, how, how, how do we tap into this power source? Two verses for you, verse 16 and verse 20 of chapter 14. 16 said this, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. And he may abide with you forever. Get this now. Jesus knows he's getting ready to go to the cross. He knows he's not going to be there. He knows it's going to upset them. So he basically says, I may be leaving, but I'm going to send you something. King James uses the word comforter. And, 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 and the Greek word is parakitos. Now, why would I use the Greek word para? 
cleatos? Well, think about this. A parachute? A paramedic? It's something that comes alongside and help you in your time of need. Verse 20. And at that day you will know that I am in my Father. And you in me. And I in you. Are y'all getting it? Are y'all getting this thing here? I'm going to read it again. I am in my Father. And you in me. And I in you. Well, now, if I am in Jesus and he is in the Father, come judgment day when he looks, he can't see me. He can only see his son. So I am thereby declared righteous, not because of who I am or what I've done, because I am in him. That day refers to the day of Pentecost. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is obtained by every one of us when we accept him as Christ as Savior. Now, with this background, let's see if we can get a better understanding as we look at our main text in chapter 15. Are you ready to take a cruise with me? If you ain't, hang on anyway. Verse 1 of chapter 15 starts out, I am. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. The Greek word here for true is aletheos. Aletheia means truth. Aletheos means a little bit more. It means pure, genuine, or real. And it's in contrast with everything that's false, counterfeit, and polluted. Now, I want you to remember this later on. I'm going to say it again. It means to be real, genuine, or pure. It's in contrast with everything that's false, counterfeit, or polluted. The true vine is the life source of the branches. It provides spiritual nutrients for growth. He used the word vine dresser. The King James uses the word husbandman for a reason because it refers to an intimate relationship as that between a husband and wife. But it also shows ownership and responsibility. See, we got a lot of guys out there now that bragging about what they do in life when it comes to the opposite sex. See, they, 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 they want to have ownership, but they don't want to take responsibility. I remember being in a barbershop where one of this guy was bragging about how many babies he had, but he ain't taking care of now one of them. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Boy, when I first read this, I just said, oh, my God, help me. Of course, I had to do some real in-depth study because this leads to a, a controversy that's still in the church today. 
let me give you what I believe God gave me. The turn in me signifies a spiritual union with Jesus Christ. Y'all with me? Jesus identified two types of branches. One unfruitful and one fruitful. But here's the part. Both are attached to the vine. Wait a minute. But only one is fulfilling its purpose. Can I put it another way? Both are in union with the vine, but only one is in communion with the vine. That communion implies an intimate relationship. Now, the purpose of the branches is to bear fruit. And since this unfruitful branch is not serving its purpose, it is taken away. And I was troubled by this because we're going to look at some things different. That's a doctrine of what we call persevering as a saint. Versus one can lose their salvation. But for right now, I want you to look with me because I had to go to the original language to get a clear understanding. The Greek word here for takeaway is eros. And eros has two primary meanings. One is negative and one is positive. Negative, it means to remove. Thus, we get takeaway. However, the same word is used in a positive sense, where it has the sense of lift up. By lifting up the fruitless branch, it makes it easier for it to get light and air. And if it get light and air, then it can grow. But here's the problem. See, a lot of things that y'all are going through, y'all need lifting up. But the branch has got comfortable laying in the dirt. The branch has got comfortable living in the dark. So when the master began to lift it up, it began to rebel. I, I, I really don't want to. See, some of the problems that some of y'all are going through, he just lifting you up. You better believe that one, because if you don't believe that one, that means you've been taken away. Now, some of this, sometimes when messages like this irritate you, it's because you're being lifted up. The light is now shining, and the dirt it has to be dusted off. You just need to get some air. So that you can grow. But Jesus also deal with the branches that bearing fruit. They too needed something. They need to be pruned. And Jesus, and the word for prune here is, get this, remember arrows? This is cast arrows. It basically means to remove that which is unclean and unuseful. Unclean and not useful. Y'all ain't sleep on me yet? In the natural, there are three things 
that's unclean and unhealthy for that vine. One is insects. Now what an insect would do, it would go and lay eggs in the blossom. Therefore it prevents growth before it even starts. And Satan has got some insects in, his, in God's church. Soon as somebody makes a profession about Christ, somebody comes to lay an egg. And before they can grow, they'll stifle. And one of the things that the devil uses is us. How, insured, how important is faith development to you? Because them new converts, they're going to judge attendance by whether or not you're going. I know you don't like it, but we were taught this morning by a teacher that people are watching you. The other thing that happens over disease, fungus and moles, it affect the leaves. This is killing growth. It kills the growth after it started. You know, somebody been running for Jesus, then all of a sudden something happened, they just stopped. It's just some disease been sown by Satan. And number three is dying non-productive branches. They're also in the vine, but they zap vital nutrients from the vine intended for healthy vines. In other words, they're taking up space. They can't nothing else grow. So in the same way the real vine must be clean from them outside harmful elements, so the Christian must be clean from things of the world. Y'all hold on, I'm coming back to that. Verse 3 can create some problems if you don't have the background and you don't understand the social context. Jesus said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Wait a minute now. It's just said about these things that are harmful. If I'm already clean, I don't need cleaning, but you do. This word here is purge in the, in the original language and it implies an ongoing process, not a one-time event. You either need lifting up or you need cleaning often. And the cleansing agent ain't tied. Son, Brandon is not cheer. I heard cheer the other day when you were talking. I heard cheer a long time. It ain't gain. It ain't even Clorox. The cleaning agent is the word of God. And since it's an ongoing process, you can't just read the word of God one time and expect to be clean. I, like many other people here, I am on blood pressure medicine. I have been on blood pressure medicine for about 30 years now. When I went on blood pressure medicine, the doctor told me, you will be on this for the rest of your life. How would it be if I say, look, I'm going to take one pill and then I'm through with it. This is an ongoing process. You can't take it when you want to or amounts that you want to or when you want to. 
not in expecting to be clean. Verse four. Here's the word. Abide. The source of spiritual impact is abide. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide means to remain, to continue, to dwell. It's interesting in the Greek language, the word literally means to stay in one place. From a military perspective, it means to stay on your post. Stand firm. This morning, Jeff was telling us about the Highland. Jesus' parable said when things got rough, the Highland's going to leave them sheep. Why? Because the sheep ain't his. If you find yourself always unstable in mind, in and out of the church, in and out of this fellowship, it may be because you ain't his. Notice what it says here. It says if it does not abide in Jesus, there can be no fruit. When we see grapes, it's evident that it's attached to the vine. I grew up in an environment in my Christian walk, where I was taught that the evidence of salvation was speaking in tongues. Yet I saw people, people speaking in tongues and doing all kinds of hideous sin. You want to know what the evidence of salvation is? Abiding in Christ and living a Christ-like life, that's bearing fruit. We've been talking about that for over three months on Wednesday night. Bearing Christ-like fruit. And you can't do it if you ain't attached to Christ. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. You've got to have some fruit bearing. If you don't have it, you ain't attached. That's the word of God. And then the kick says, without me, you will do nothing. Remember we talked about there are two types of vine and both are attached. See, the message of Jesus is clear. Only he is a power source. And without him, we cannot and we will not have an impact or an ultimate success in ministry. More every leader to listen to me. Ministry done without him may look good, it may sound good, but it bears no real spiritual fruit. We get hung up on numbers, we get hung up on money, we get hung up on attendance. But that is not indicative of what's bearing real fruit. I kind of like this because it's like 
cherry blossoming, the flowering pear tree that grows so abundantly here in Middle Georgia. And man, I tell you, it looks so pretty. But they are not doing what God created them to do. Now, recently I've been eating cherries. I, I really like them. I didn't think I would, but I really do. Because they have some antioxidant value within them. But I wouldn't buy a cherry tree. Because it ain't going to produce nothing but blossoms. And the blossom ain't doing me no good. I wouldn't have a flowering pear tree. I love prayer preserved. Because they ain't going to produce nothing but blossom. And we at the church don't got to the point we are just selling for blossoms. It looks good. It sounds good. It makes me feel good. But it ain't doing nothing that caused me to grow. not a question of us living our lives for the vine. It's a matter of letting the vine power flow through us. The problem is, Jeff, we don't get credit when it does that. And we want the pats on the back for doing ministry. Instead of praying, Lord, help me to live my life for you. We should be praying, Lord, live your life through me. And how was Jesus' life? Crucified. He was only popular for about two weeks. Came into Jerusalem, Hosanna, Hosanna. By the weekend, crucify him. So don't expect to abide in the vine and live a life or have him live a life to you and people pat you on the back. Jesus said he was the Elysians, the true vine, in contrast to unproductive vine. So we got some other vines out there that apparently we are abiding in. We're dwelling in. We're standing firm in. Let me name a few. Number one, fear. Fear paralyzes a lot of church folks because we are so concerned with what people think. So we won't move because of fear. Number two, shame. Yeah, we made some mistakes. And we don't think we're worthy to be used by God. Number three is sin. We're abiding. Some people are still abiding in sin. Now, how is that possible? Our teacher made it plain this morning. There ought to be some type of conviction within you. And I know of people, Jeff, that are convicted. They feel miserable, but they will not change that situation. Hold on to that. The fourth thing is selfishness and pride. We want to take credit for everything we're doing and we abide in that. 
If we do something good and don't get a pat on the back, we don't feel like we've done nothing at all. Can I make you mad now? Some of us abide in social media. Remember, it means to dwell and abide. Some people could not go a day without posting something or doing something on social media. Yet they won't pick their Bible up. Compare the two. Don't get me wrong. I use social media. Social media is good when you use it for good things. But you can become addicted even to the good use of this thing because you're abiding in it. It would be easy for some people to fast 24 hours without food than fast 24 hours without going on social media. Try it. The other thing, some of us are biding in laziness. I talked to the seniors last week. We want to use our age for an excuse for not being on time. No, it ain't your age. You just lazy. So if you like most of us, you're going to wake up in the middle of the night anyway. You ain't going to sleep that long. Some of us abiding in unhealthy relationships. I don't care whether it's a sister or a brother or a child or maybe somebody else's husband or wife. That's why you're abiding in and you won't let it go. When God be trying to lift you up so you can get some air, no! Question is, who is your God? And a lot of us are Abiding in traditions. We won't change stuff for nothing. It's amazing to me. We ain't driving the same type of car. We ain't cooking in the same type of stoves. But we got to have everything like it was a long time ago. We've always done it that way. So how do we abide, Pastor? We've already covered it. How's your prayer life? You buy by spending more time in prayer. How's your prayer life? How many times do you pray a day versus everything else you do? My wife get on me about my tablet and my phone, and rightly so. Hear a little bleep on there. You got to just turn it on and see what happened. Even though the law said don't pick that thing up. Who's that texting me now? Then we get on. We'll stay a long time. Even a television show. But compared to the time that you were praying. Y'all heard me say it before. But when you have a prayer service. At the beginning of every service at church, we have prayer. We got less people then than we have any time in the service. So what are you abiding in? Number two, reading, studying, and obeying God's word. 
I don't care if it's a magazine. How much time are you spending in God's word? And here's another one that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge. Fellowshipping with the saints of God. Even though Hebrews tell us that we should not fail to do it, we make excuses because we don't like this person or that person. We ain't going to fellowship. I'm purposely going to come and wait till after fellowship is over before I even go to church because I don't want to shake nobody's hand or hug nobody. How do we abide in Christ? Lastly, continuously conscious of his presence in our daily life. Thinking that since he is in me and I am him, wherever I go, he's there. He's there. Whether I go to Kroger or Yoma Chevrolet or Five Star, he's there. Whether it's Megan, say Mercer or Wesley, he is there. Fort Valley, he is there with me. Coming back to that, maybe. But Jesus issued this warning in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, as a branch, and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Wow. What, what, what did Jesus mean by throwing in the fire and burn? There three possible interpretations. Number one, Christians who have lost their salvation. Number two, Christians who lose their rewards, but not their salvation at the judgment seat of Christ. Number three, those who profess Christianity as faith, but who never had a trusting relationship with Christ as Savior. For the record, the belief of the new Pine Grove Baptist Church Incorporated is what we call the perseverance of the saints. This means is that it's God that keeps you, not you keeping yourself. Since there's nothing good you could do to merit salvation, there's nothing bad you can do that unmerit is. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that he preserves us until the day of redemption. But I want you to keep Jude's words in mind in verse 25. Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling. is New King James. And to present you faultless. Not that you are, but present you faultless before the presence of his glory and with exceeding joy. Another one of those Greek words, stumbling. It means sure-footedness. It, it, it has an example of a man who's on a horse and they come to a steep ravine that goes around with a ledge that's about two feet. The rider gets off his horse, guides the horse, and every time you see a pothole, he fills it. Every time you see a stone, he throws away so the horse will remain sure-footed. See, if you're abiding in Christ, when you're walking in that 
terrible state, God is going to move them things for you so you won't fall. In fact, he already did it on the cross. He's able to keep you from falling. And present you faultless. Some theologians divide this up saying that he's able to keep you from falling, but if you fall, he's still able to present you faultless. What's the point of the message? A branch attached to the vine has only one purpose. If you're saved, you're saying you're attached to the vine, you ain't got but one purpose. That's bear fruit. A branch is usually for making furniture, for building homes. Actually, a branch don't even make good firewood. There's nothing for a broken off branch to do but wither and die. It has no life source. Guess what? You and I are nothing but branches. Everybody in here is potential firewood. We only have two choices. Abide or be buried. So make sure you abide in Christ. In a few minutes, we're going to be participating in the Lord's Supper. This is symbolic now. I want you to get this. It's a reminder of Jesus abiding in us. We take this element and we put it inside of us. These elements represent Jesus' body and his blood. It's a reminder that he is in us. But we treat it just like any other food. It's going to pass. And it's no longer in us. But there's a physical reminder as well. After we take communion and we walk out of here and we live a life that glorifies God, it's a reminder that we abide in him and he in us. That's why Jesus told us, remember! If we remember that he's in us and we in him, it will change us. Because without him, you can do nothing. Then and only then can you say with confidence, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. I can say no to those things that tempt me. And I can say yes to those things that frighten me for God's glory. But I can't do it on my own. Some of y'all been struggling with burdens and you've been trying to do it in yourself. You can't do it. Final appeal, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loves me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If 
we continue to abide in him. His worry abide in us. It will change our prayer life. We won't ask for anything that's not in his will. Scripture said the love that the father had for the son, the son has for us. That's a vast, wide, unmeasurable love, a love that passes all understanding, a love that looks beyond your fault, see your need. The question is, do we want to abide in his love? Or do you want to abide in things of the world? Abiding in his love means, beyond a doubt, you will bear fruit. What's your fruit? Stand with me now. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.